I'm Tom. And welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, episode 66, A Kick in the Arts, also known as Summer Olympics, first broadcast on the 28th of January, 1980, a Monday at 8.10pm. Now, before we get into the detailed discussion, am I justified in saying that this is not a Goodies clip show, but it's close to it, given that we have... Tim getting arrested a la the Scoutrageous. We have the escape from prison a la Goodies in the Nick. We have Graham hoarding a group of celebrities as animals as per Scotty Safari. Safari. We have the Olympic Games and various versions of that similar to Winter Olympics and indeed Commonwealth Games. Is this the Goodies going back to the well? I think it's Goodies dragging everything out of the well and just saying, oh, look, I've I've messed up all these scripts, guys. What can we pull out of each page? (laughs) (laughs) There certainly are some identifiable reuses, shall we say. Hmm, interesting tropes. Yes. <laughs> Given all that, how did we find this episode? Richard? I'm actually going to say, I remember when I saw this as a kid, I didn't get a lot out of this one, because I probably... I mean, you get the basic beats of it, but a lot of the, the stuff in it really made no impact on me when I was young. So, as I've got older, I actually can appreciate it more, I think, because a lot of the references and stuff they're setting up uh, makes sense. Having said that, look, there's some good stuff in this, but... Yeah, I'm probably the same with you. As a kid, some of the stuff with the masked shop putter, I kind of remember being quite funny. But yeah, a lot of this went over my head. And even now, I think it is an episode that struggles from being a little bit dated, and we'll talk about that as we go through. I had some laughs, but no, it's not a favourite. Tom? Much the same. It's, again, it's in that mid-range. It's certainly not the worst, but it's not, certainly not the best. And that's even of this season, too. Oh, no, well, there's a lot of better stuff in this season. Yeah. So it opens with the Tim Brooke-Taylor British Olympic Fund. His pro-celebrity sports competition, basically. Yes, with a couple of names that I must admit weren't that familiar to me, but Richard, you've got some info. Yeah, so we have the four boxers. Henry Cooper, John Conte, Joe Bugner, who at the time was an English boxer and then came out to Australia and tried to resurrect his career in Australia, and, of course, Muhammad Ali, all in the ring together, who are then knocked out basically, by Magnus Pike, who really, for Australians, was a quite well-known UK scientist who moved into presenting and I think was known for his extremely animated style. Maybe call him the Julius Sumner Miller, perhaps, of, <laughs> um, of British television. We then have the chap hanglining is Cyril Smith. We see him in politics. He's the guy on the Joker card. Yep. He was a Liberal Party MP for Rochdale up in the north, who was also the party with him. He, he was known for his quite laid-back and jovial air. Ones we would recognise is Basil Brush. Yes, um, now this is the scene that I could have sworn was in Hunting Pink. <laughs> <laughs> and when we watched Hunting Pink, I was looking for it, and my, my absolute memory was that it was in that. And I was really confused as to why it wasn't, and it popped out here. Yeah, and then of course we have uh, Rod Hull's Emu. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, think that's, uh, I don't know whether that's before or after the one where Billy Connolly threatened to break Rod Hull's wrist in the bird's neck. <laughs> At the end of it, Tim's left, after he's paid all the expenses, he has 3P. And we then do go through the expenses. Yes, so we get that scene where Tim is being carted around in a golf cart, or, or golf. a golf bag, yes. yeah. 
which is an interesting attitude. Because Tim is a keen golfer in real life, but you know he can't hit the ball, so Bill has to kick it for him when he wants to make the putt. Graham sitting there with a slide rule and whatever, trying to work out <laughs> the correct angle. But, of course, he goes through the expenses of how much money they've left, including 500 pounds for Nicholas Parsons not to turn up. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time he's deducted all the expenses, which allows him to make some celebrity jokes. Yes. He's left with a whole 3P for the Olympic Fund. Just reflecting on that in today's climate when they're running these wonderful conventions or, you know, guests turn up. So, like, it's probably not far different to that (laughs) attitude of making a profit. (laughs) No, well, that's sort of what they call that Hollywood accounting. As soon as your movie makes a profit, you just write as much as you can off against it. Yeah. Tim takes this three pence to go and present it to the British Olympic Committee, which is headed by Ballard Berkeley. Yes. That, I must admit, that is quite an interesting little scene where he goes in and it sort of does the pan across all the Olympic officials, you know, representing each of the previous games. Yes. And they'll finally wind up with a skeleton from Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> and the head of them, and really the only speaking part, yes. is Ballard Berkeley. Now, he's, I would say, most famous for playing the major in Faulty Towers. Yes. He was also a regular. I think he was the father-in-law in in Fresh Fields. That sounds right, yep. And he was also, had a fairly significant role into The Manor Born, where he played Uncle Plot Device. Yes, well, that's true. Yes, it allowed him to wrap the series up quickly. (laughs) Yeah, so he was quite a staple of sitcoms at that stage (laughs) in his career, but had a career going back a long way, and indeed had a part in In Which We Serve. Okay. Which is a you know fairly iconic movie from mm-hmm. 1942, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, long, long career. But he's yeah, got the one speaking part and indeed gets to give a Land of Hope and Glory speech. Yes, as we watch them all die around him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so very clearly the theme or the, the message, if you like, of the episode is this idea that the British Olympic movement is basically just old, defunct, tired, unfunded, unloved. And indeed that there's this sort of pushback from the old guard of no no British athletes don't have money and we don't train we're amateurs we don't you know we're not professionals and that sort of pushback against the modernization yes, and, of and the they're not movement. really expected to get out there and have any real success yes you know the, the idea is that you get out there and lose but you're doing it for your country that's exactly right which I suppose is the sort of environment why Eddie the Eagle suddenly becomes a national hero <laughs> that's right <laughs> so years later yeah exactly But, of course, at the end of the scene, the Olympic officials are all dead. Yeah, I mean, they even do the joke about, you know, we have to vote to see whether we can let you come in, and it's 3-4, it's 3 against, they wait, he dies, oh, it's only 2 against, you can come in. Which, I must admit, at first I thought, that with that joke, I thought, this is a bit silly, like, why are they having a vote? Oh, no, they're doing it to have the joke that someone dies with vote, okay. There's sort of that expectant pause and one of them starts shaking, and then, oh, yes, he's died, you can come in. Yeah. So, yeah, they they give this big speech, and then Tim decides to go off and raise more money to have his own Olympic team. Yes, he he wants to have a properly funded team, which leads into what I think is the best sequence in the episode. Oh, yes. um, Where he discovers Grey Bungle's casino (laughs) (laughs) and comes up against Hurricane Oddie. Yes, this is a really good sequence. Yes, Hurricane Oddie, I guess, is a riff on Alex Hurricane Higgins, who was a snooker champion, Mm. uh, probably roughly contemporary, I think. Bill and Graham then proceed to hustle Tim. I think there are some really good seconds in there. Bill very nearly wrecks the gag with the balls under the cuffs. Then he nearly knocks the blue one over. They do the missing ball. He then fleeces Tim at Scrabble. Like yes. they're just throwing squeezed. <laughs> the board. They then both 
taped him down at table tennis. Yes. <laughs> and indeed, even at I Spy. Yeah, which is the very clever one of that, I bet you're better than me at this. And then he loses it. See, I win the bet. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the point that Tim ends up having to hand over not just all his cash, but his clothes as well. Yes. There's only one thing left for him to do. I'll become an athlete. <laughs> and as Tim goes off to become a broken, indentured athlete, I do love Graham's line, though. I hope he's not going to do anything silly. Oh, I hope he is. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's very much that idea, and we're sort of getting into our tropes, that Tim is again the odd goody out. Graham and Bill have teamed up against him. Yes, and also that Graham and Bill now are obviously very interested in earning money, yes. um, which is a trope we're actually seeing a lot more of at this end of the series. It's all about the cash. Yep, and the cash by nefarious means that Tim wouldn't approve of. Tim joins the ranks of the broken, starving athletes, and they start committing crimes. The interesting part is when you actually first see the Olympians and they're all being uh, beggars and they're in the street, you just hear the audience, one lady just goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> quite audibly. Across <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, it's real. <laughs> yes, so you get the shot of lots of, well, not the most athletic looking men. No. Uh, they're, you know, sort of very skinny, very underfed, and in very cheap athletic t-shirts and, and tops, yes. going through bins, scouring the streets for spare food or spare change. And then Tim, obviously, forms them into a criminal gang, yes. basically, where they start raiding shops, As, stealing the crown jewels. And he becomes the masked shop putter. Yes, including robbing the Queen out of her car. Well, I did note, though, that we are back at the Tower of London stealing the crown jewels. Mm. So that's another repeat <laughs> of, a, of a goodies idea. I did like the joke there, I submit, where they're watching the run of crime, where it's shot by an amateur cameraman and then shot by a very good outside broadcast cameraman. <laughs> Comes around, waves at the camera. <laughs> I did think that was very funny. And, and one thing that I think was unintentionally funny is where Tim is basically trying to, in an athletic style, get the crown jewels out. So, you know, he shot puts the yeah. orb, he javelins the scepter, but clearly they're quite heavy props because as soon as he lets all of them go, they just fall straight yeah. to the ground. <laughs> Yeah, look, they get to have some quite good gags there. They do the bit where they're still in the crown jewels. There's also, like, the relay with the dynamite. Yep. The where he shot puts through the window to steal the food. The bit where, obviously, he's being chased by Bill after he tries to steal the money from the casino. And you get that joke almost straight out of Roadrunner, you know, where he's on the pole vault and Bill's there frantically putting the bricks on yes. so he can hit mm. the wall. Yes, um, that was very well done, actually. Yeah, which, again, is a joke straight out of the cartoons. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, Tim is then arrested. And the entire British athletics team is locked up. Yes, now, at this point, we then cut to Graham as Kerry Thwacker. <laughs> <laughs> With a little Australian flag on his desk. Who has basically been buying all the world's best athletes, which, as we noted, is, is really shades of scatty safari, particularly where they're bringing them in in the packing cases. Yes. You know, the Kenyan long-distance runners, a bit squashed, they'll be all right. <laughs> yes. Now, shall we talk about who Kerry Thwacker might be? This is one of the sections, I think, that really dates the episode. I mean, Graham is obviously meant to be Kerry Packer, Australian media tycoon and businessman. He really came to prominence in England during the World Series cricket era. All the kerfuffle over World Series really was 1977 because that's when you've got the players being banned in the court cases and those sort of things. So really by 1979, when this would have been filmed, World Series cricket actually would have been pretty much done and dusted and he would have got what he wanted, which was television rights. It is, but look, Packard, you know, probably worth saying, is somebody who really chased sporting rights basically right through his life. You know, oh, he did. He, he guards the... 
Channel 9 cricket rights here in Australia, yes. you know, religiously. Uh, when he decides he wants to go after it, he goes after it with just yes, se- he did. You know, I mean, serious he did, he did cash. He did the golf, he did the rugby, he did the Formula 1. And often the stories are that even when the you know executives actually running his stations were like, well, that's our cap, we can't go over it. He's like, no, I want it and I'll spend this much. Yeah, I'm prepared to go higher. Yeah. yeah. He, prior to World Series, wasn't really very well known in Britain and it wasn't until World Series broke all the controversy. And then he started appearing on chat shows and stuff and showed himself actually be quite capable of holding his own. Yes. But the English really had any idea who he was. Yeah, um, Graham gets to do a bit of an Australian accent. <laughs> and he also gets to do an even sillier Australian <laughs> yes. accent. No, Mr. Gardner do a much sillier yeah. accent. And Graham also gets to have a bit of a you know fun monologue there when he's talking about his athletes. I particularly highlight the bit where he's calling Joan Collins. You know, oh, have you got Arsenal? Well, the poor devils. Well, look, I need them back, but I can give you Sheffield Wednesday and Everton Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like there was a cup there. And I think it might have just been a recording jump. Maybe. From one take to another. But, but yeah, just when they went on about go, Joan Collins, what a game girl. Oh, I, mean, I mean, I know she at the time, I think, had been in some quite steamy shows, like, US shows, I think. Movies, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's in The Stud and oh, yeah. The mm. Bitch. <laughs> oh, there you go. At this point, it's revealed that Russia, who, of course, in the real life, Moscow was the host of the 1980 Olympics, which yes. were coming up at that point. It's a reveal that Russia can't afford to host the Olympics, and neither can anybody else. I think by that point it had come out that Montreal had had the Olympics in 76 and had made a massive loss. Yeah. And being left with this white elephant at the stadium, so they couldn't use for anything else. Yeah, we are starting to get into that era of the Olympics actually not making money back. Um, and, and since then, some have, some haven't. Mm. Uh, Sydney and London, I think, have been the more successful ones. But, you know, you look at Barcelona, you look at Athens, they absolutely haven't. And I think Brazil is in all sorts of strife after some of their hosting. The shots there just of two world leaders, randomly selected, I assume. There was Anwar Sadat, yes. who was the president of Egypt, and Helmut Schmidt, oh, yes. who was the Chancellor <laughs> of Germany at the time. And, of course, we have the think that yes if there is any country anywhere in the world that can afford to stage an olympic games please let us know and then of course they get a phone call from kerry thwacker (laughs) (laughs) now meantime tim has escaped from prison broken into the olympic headquarters and changed the program of events yes it's actually quite interestingly filmed scene there and the audience actually quite likes it just the way it's done quite covertly we then cut to graham getting very worried about the olympics what's coming up and Bill has the line, why don't you do something relaxing, like invade Poland? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, before that, in, in the scene in Kerry Thwacker's office, of course, they have to go through the bit. Because they've assembled all this great team of athletes, they have to naturalise them all. They marry Lamenoff to Virginia Wade, who was an English tennis player who won Wimbledon a couple of years earlier. Yes, and the women get married to Bill. And Graham will adopt all the children. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only child Russian gymnasts. Yes, and because they make a comment that a couple of the Russian gymnasts have actually died in transit. Yes, Grimace. <laughs> well, it is because, I mean, this is the period, obviously, where Olga Corbett was, you know, a phenomenon on the world stage. Yes. Anyway, they now have their exclusive great new team, and they're getting them ready to walk out when they discover Tim is hiding in the changing rooms. And they're not going to give him up to the authorities because it's Timbo's birthday. Yes, we're going to give you a great day. Then we're going to turn you in. And of course, they've got him something he really wants for his birthday. Not an armadillo skin posing pouch. Right? Oh, right? Not an armadillo skin pouch. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, they've assembled him this great world-beating team. Which is a shame they didn't talk to Tim clearly because now this team is utterly useless at <laughs> the events. So interesting narrative device there. What they actually do is 
open the Olympics, which includes footage of what I assume was the 76 Olympics. I think so, releasing the dubs and the teams walking in. Uh, including a nice shot of the Australian team leading the way yep. in the old green and gold. Mm-hmm. The bit of the Olympic torch being lit, yep. although there's a bit of a delay, so you see the athletes stopping to have a smoke in the meantime. <laughs> Sitting there bored on the edge of the step. Can I do it now? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody playing the Queen? Jeanette oh, Charles. Jeanette Charles, yet again. Yep. Yeah, so, of course, once they come in, of course, the Olympic officials all get the new program of events and stage and mass walkout. So you get to do the reverse film with the athletes walking back out, the doves flying back into the, back into the container. And there's nobody for Britain to compete against because Tim's new team is sitting outside, which are basically all the academic minds of Britain. Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's no one for them to compete against, but that doesn't mean they win the Olympics automatically. Oh, no, they have to find someone to compete against. And, of course, because Graham and Bill have put all their money on Britain to lose... <laughs> they now have to turn up and compete as the rest of the world with Graham leading the way and Bill carrying all the flags. That's right. <laughs> And then in an interesting framing device, they actually just show a slide that says two weeks later, and we get the entire Olympic Games as a reflection rather than an actual narrative. Yes, yeah, so they're just sort of relaying some of the highlights. It would be too hard, even on film, to really do a full Olympic program. So oh, yes. you've got maybe five jokes that you can use. So, yeah, we'll put them in a highlights package. Yes. And that so, was uh, Barry Cryer doing the voiceover for that. Okay. Uh, compatriot from, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. So we get various different jokes there, as you said. They have the 15-metre dive whilst reciting Hamlet. <laughs> yes, and Graham places fourth against Olivier Chilwood and Alec Guinness. The heavyweight poetry Snatch and Limerick. Yes. Now, that's Roland McLeod playing the role, another appearance of Roland McLeod. But uh, it's Sir John Betjeman, who was the poet laureate in Britain at the time. Okay, we also have quite a good scene in the Long John Gate, the priestly jumping his collected works. Yeah, that's actually quite a good gag. I like that. Then we have the wrestling with Dame Wilhelmina Odietta, wrestling Barbara Cartland in mud, and defeats her by going for the autograph book routine. Yeah, that was quite good. We have the 200 metres Tristan and Isolde swim. Yes. I'm assuming that's meant to be Dame Joan Sutherland, I think, coming up out of the water. That's who I thought it was, yes. Yes, when the rest of the world mount the challenge. Uh, Graham gets to show off a bit of his medical skills by doing the appendiscotomy. That's actually really good. The appendectomy by bullfight. That was really funny. Yeah, he did that very well. And it all then ends with the baton relay, which is Graham and Bill themselves trying to run around the track whilst every British celebrity just passes it one to the other to the other. Every member of British academia, I think, basically just passes the scroll from hand to hand. Dead Sea Scroll Relay. So that, of course, is the final event that means that Britain wins the Olympics. Yes. Beating the rest of the world. Beating the rest of the world. Put together. Yep. Yes, the rest of the world combined. And as Tim goes forth to get his prize... From the Queen, she identifies him as the mask shop putter and tells the police to arrest him. Yes. Cue yakety sacks. Yes, we then end with a Benny Hill style trousers down running gag. Because two weeks later, he's still wearing his prison <laughs> coveralls <laughs> under his tracksuit <laughs> pants. Here's the one officer. Here's the mask shop putter. I have to say, after going through that all for the last 20 minutes, there were more good gags in there than I perhaps gave it credit for. I, I perhaps did enjoy it a bit more than I realised. I agree. I think there was some good material in there. Yeah, there is a bit of a we've-seen-this-before feel about it. Mm. Yeah. And this is perhaps a, a good example of the difference between just dipping into this episode randomly and actually doing what we're doing, which is going through the series all in order, and when you get to this one, you do feel as though, look, 
it is the far end of the series. There are a lot of repeated gags. You know, maybe this is a, a yeah. sign that they are getting a little bit tired. I have a lot of episodes I really like in this series. I actually think this is quite a strong series. But it is, I think, showing signs of flagging as well in this episode and in another episode particularly. We're now at a point, they've been doing this for 10 years. Yes. And whether it's just they themselves are just tired or the well is sort of starting to run dry, hence the fact that they've sort of gone back and mined some of the previous gags or previous elements. I'm not sure, but... And I also thought, we, we noted a couple of years ago, in terms of series time, that Graham had started to look his age. Yes. This is the first episode where I actually thought Tim was starting to look his age as well. Well, he's noticeably thinning, obviously, mm. on top, really. I mean, he's got the sort of very long back and sides, but he's noticeably thinning on top. Yeah. Mm. And that gets more pronounced, I think, the further we go. Yeah. Look, we've identified there were some really good gags in this. And what I think we also need to point out is we've name-checked a lot of the celebrities that are in this. Watching it now, there were some names there that are just completely lost to the mists of time. Mm. And there are other ones there where you know, we certainly recognise them, like J.B. Priestley, Barbara Cartland, yep. but we recognise them as names from the past. Yes. Whereas at the time, you know, they would have been very much part of the chat show circuit. They would have been on Parkinson and you know, doing actually doing their stuff and releasing their books. Whereas now it's sort of, yeah, I'm aware of them. They're people from back then. So this does have a very dated feel. Yeah. And look, even Kerry Packer, I mean, he's been dead now for, what, 15 years or something? Uh, at least 10. Yeah. 10, 12 years. Yeah. yeah. It is out there with that datedness. And unfortunately, some of them are going to date that way. Yeah. I suppose in some ways that's perhaps what you get from doing this. I mean, this series is more either pastiches or satire of their version of what's going on in popular culture. So, yeah, I think that probably doesn't help. One note I do have here is we talked about the aborted goodies movie in politics, but the scene where Tim is trying to give the money to the Olympic Committee is a straight reuse from that script. Good old recycling. Mm. Wonderful. We'll move then to our regular segments. Tropes and firsts. We've already identified that there's a Nicholas Parsons reference. Yes. And of course, a Land of Hope and Glory speech not given by Tim. No. We mentioned that Tim is very much again the odd one out. Yes. Here. It's a final appearance. We've mentioned Roland McLeod uh, in the episode. This is his last appearance. He's in quite a few episodes, as we've noted along the way. This is his last appearance. And Norman Mitchell's in it? Yes. Norman Mitchell was the referee in the Barbara Cartland wrestling match. Mm. Yes. But yes, and again, this is his final appearance in the series as well. Paul Gerald. Yes. Plus, we also have the Queen again played by Jeanette Charles. What couldn't they get away with today? It wasn't cut here, so the Australian censors clearly were okay with it. Yeah, I don't know if there would be much in there that it would be... No, I don't think so. Maybe maybe the Russian dying. <laughs> maybe or some of the stuff maybe around Joan Collins clearly in a perceived sexual appetite mm. perhaps. I don't I don't know there's too much else in there you wouldn't do, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, it's fairly innocuous, I think, in terms of content. I think so too. So we move to our favourite gag. Richard? I'm going to go for the, uh, the armadillo skin posing pouch gag. <laughs> I'll go for that. Tom? Other than Greybag's casino section, which I think is just hilarious throughout, I'm actually just the fond of, that's him, the Marsh shop putter. So just the final yep. scene with the Queen. Okay. Oh, look, I am going to go for the Hurricane Oddie bit, and in, partic <laughs> in particular the table tennis match. I think that's really, really good. So, yeah, an episode that, look, talking about it, as I say, I've realised there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it's not one of the best. Next week, however, we have possibly my all-time favourite of the run, certainly in my top five. 
and that is you friend or you foe. Okay. But on your way to Nutter's Knoll, maybe you'll take a walk in the Black Forest. Just a little bit of cross-promotion here. If you're a fan of 1970s BBC television and you don't mind listening to what Richard and I discuss, we've launched a new podcast covering the BBC TV series Blake's Seven. The podcast is called Spacefall, a Blake Seven podcast. And you can find it on Facebook at Spacefall PC. You can find us on Twitter at Spacefall PC. Or you can search for us on iTunes. If you've enjoyed our goodies podcast, we hope you'll join us for this next saga. We'll talk again soon. Cheat me? I wouldn't cheat. Now listen, Tim, you want to win your money back for the British Olympic Fund, right? Yeah. Okay, I tell you what, you choose the game. Okay, I choose I Spy. I Spy. Now I bet you're better than me at that. Okay, I Spy with my little eyes and me beginning with G. Graham, right? You see? <laughs> you are better. I win. Fine, take two. <laughs> <laughs>